Hey guys, Hope here, and welcome back to a new episode of Hurricane Hope. If you have not been here before, then thank you for listening, welcome to my podcast, and yeah, I'm really glad that you're here. So I have kind of, for my my podcast so far, I have kind of made them very generic in general and not too specific and just kind of rambled. I have decided that I want to do super specific and centered podcast episodes. Um, I really want to use this opportunity to go more in depth about some things. Um, I feel like, you know, if I have a platform, whether it be very, very small or if it grows one day, you know, I want to be able to use this as a means to talk about certain topics that, you know, um, may be able to, to help others or, you know, just kind of get more into it and make it as, you know, authentic as possible. Um, so I wanted to kick off this podcast. I'm going to actually put this in a category of season two because I'm going to kind of label these different as my, my other ones that I have up so far. But, um, this podcast, I wanted to talk about something that is very big in my life, something that has shaped a lot of my adult life and, you know, um, something that has impacted a lot of my life and that is living with anxiety. I know that this is a topic of a lot of discussion these days and I kind of just wanted to uh, talk about living with anxiety and my journey and you know what it's been like for me. I'm about to turn 26 in two weeks and you know what it's been like to have anxiety for 18 years now and I think it's 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 going to be a longer one today because it's a long journey but I think it's important to talk about and I've found that in the, the age of social media, I actually don't really talk about my anxiety as much because it's something that to me is kind of just natural at this point. It's part of my life. It's a way of life. It's been in my life for so long now that I don't really see it as something abnormal anymore, which is kind of sad, but you know, I've grown to, to cope with it and live with it and deal with it. So, you know, I haven't really talked about it as much as, you know, I don't want to say I should, but as much as, you know, I could, I guess. So I guess I'll just start from the beginning. Um, I am 25. I was born August 6, 1993. And I have had anxiety since I was eight years old. I was in third grade. And that's when I was diagnosed with a couple of things. I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, GAD, and post-traumatic stress disorder, known as PTSD, commonly, um, when I was eight. And... Basically, the story of it starts with um, September 11, 2001. Um, my mom, uh, for those who don't know, is very thankfully and luckily a 9-11 survivor. It is something that um, I don't really talk much about anymore, but it's something that impacted my entire family's lives and ultimately was the catalyst to a lot of changes that my family underwent around, you know, around that time in the early 2000s. And my mom, she worked in Tower 2 of the World Trade Center. She was, God God willing, like very, very, very lucky to escape the, the towers that day. Um, all of her office was very, very lucky. They suffered no casualties and, you know, something that... Um, it's something that it's so hard to explain that day um, because I have always felt a lot of guilt for for kids like me back then who who lost their parents. I am so thankful that my mom 
was able to survive that tragedy and I think about the people who unfortunately lost their lives a lot I it's it's just so sad and it's something that as a young kid really impacted me um so we are very lucky and my heart goes out to anybody who is impacted by the 9-11 tragedies um so when that happened um my mom did not come home until the next day she came home september 12th and after that happened i felt um i was young i was in third grade i felt very attached to her all of a sudden i felt like i didn't want to be apart from her i felt like um i couldn't be apart from her i would literally like cling to her leg when I had to go to school and not leave, she had to rip me off of her leg. She would physically drag me into school in my pajamas. It was such a change. I used to easily just walk into school. I had never experienced anxiety up until that point. I was very young. I saw the world as as a playground. I didn't see anything bad yet until this happened. And then, you know, all of a sudden I was opened up to a world of reality and terror and anger and hatred. And to be opened up and exposed to that at such a young age it took away a lot of my childhood and innocence as it did for for many other people who were involved or had experiences with this and it was eye-opening confusing frustrating scary but as a response to that i didn't want to leave my mom's side i was having separation anxiety um so my parents brought me to a therapist and i would go every monday at six o'clock to uh, this doctor, his name was Dr. Danzig. He wore like a tweed suit. He was an older man and he sat in this big chair. I, I couldn't stand him. Um, he was so stuffy and boring. And I went in thinking it was a joke. I didn't understand why I was there. I didn't understand what therapy was, but I also didn't understand why I was feeling um, like my heart was starting to pound faster. I didn't understand why I couldn't sleep and why I felt like I was on the edge of a cliff. I couldn't understand why I was starting to feel sick to my stomach whenever I had to go into school and leave my mom. And it was all very confusing for me at eight. So when I went to therapy, you know, I they, they evaluate you if you are going in there um, for the first time. They, they try to get a lay of the land and see what's going on. So after my initial evaluation, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and PTSD. Um, I didn't really understand what those things were at the time, but I did understand the physical impact that, you know, both of those things were having on my body and on my mind. Um, And that was very, very scary because I didn't know anybody else who was experiencing these things. And I didn't know anybody else who had this quote unquote generalized anxiety disorder. Um, You know, I did not know at the time that mental illness ran on my dad's side of the family. I did not know um, because I was young, I was in third grade, you know, what, when were my parents going to tell me, oh, by the way, you know, you know, everyone on your dad's side of the family has a history of mental illness. It was just something that hadn't come up yet because there wasn't a catalyst. There wasn't a trigger. And, you know, oftentimes now as an adult, I wonder, you know, if 9-11 had not happened, when would this anxiety have been triggered? Because no matter what happened in my life, when it happened, the anxiety was going to be triggered at some point. It was going to start at some point based on my genetics, my DNA, you know, where I came from, where I come from, and my genes. So I think that no matter what, it was going to happen young because I had a lot of different things happen when I was younger. My parents got divorced, you know, I was bullied a lot. I think no matter what, it was going to happen at a young age. 
But um, anyway, so after that evaluation, I was there for a long time every Monday. I was there at the therapist's office total for about five years up until I think I was 13. But um, at that therapist in particular. But um, so my original experience with anxiety as a young girl, um, one thing that I very clearly remember was not being able to sleep because my heart was was beating really really fast like I would feel it in my chest kind of like punching my chest walls and I would feel like I was ready to jump out of my skin and, and having this feeling as a young kid it induces panic you know I wasn't panicking I was having anxiety you know my thoughts were racing I was thinking about terrorism and I was thinking about I kept seeing images of the burning twin towers that had been a place of comfort for me for a long time I used to love going to work with my mom and I felt important whenever I would go to the World Trade Center. So I would see images of the towers burning in my head and it would keep me up. And almost every night right after September 11 happened at about 11, 11.30 p.m., I would run into my parents' room and, you know, shake them, wake them up and be like, are you awake? Like, I, I, I feel sick. I'm, I'm worried. You know, I, my heart is racing. I remember telling that to my mom all the time and, you know, she would give me a Walkman and a CD of ocean sounds, or I remember she gave me Faith Hill's Breathe album and was like, go listen to music, because my mom didn't understand, but my mom was also suffering from PTSD as well. She was really struggling, and um, she didn't quite understand having anxiety diagnosed, um, because it was not something that ran in her family. So I, I turned to my dad quite a bit, because my dad had anxiety as does his mother and his sister um mental illness runs in his family and once I learned that I could talk to my dad about it it helped quite a bit because my dad and I actually started going to therapy together at the same time every Monday we would see two different therapists they were in the same office and we would go into their rooms at six o'clock and then we would come out and drive home together having that was very important to me and healing from that tragedy in particular Um, and that anxiety in particular because he got it and my dad had been a very angry person when my parents were still married but getting to relate to him and talk to him about this in particular was crucial as a young girl because none of my friends understood nobody that I knew had anxiety except for my father so I kind of clung on to that and you know took it as it came for a long time (sighs) God, it was really bad. They did not put me on any med- uh, medication as a kid. So that was that was actually a very good thing because my therapist at the time, you know, he didn't want to put me on medication. He wanted me to heal and he wanted me to, to work through it with him in the office and not just throw pills at me, which I really appreciated because, and my parents appreciated it too, um, because I was very young. So, you know, he was a great doctor in that sense. Overall, he was a great doctor. But... Um, yeah, it was, it was lonely and it was very stressful, you know, not knowing any kids who were experiencing something similar. And also this was all before social media. This was all before, um, you know, mental illness was a widely discussed topic. It wasn't talked about really at all. So to have this in an era where it wasn't spoken about um, and to be diagnosed at such a young age it was isolating and lonely. Um, going to therapy helped me a lot. I finally moved to every other week when I was about 12 and then 
you know, I was told I'm, I'm good to go basically at 13. Um, I didn't know back then that I would need to be in and out of therapy for probably my whole life. But um, for a while, the anxiety was kind of at bay. My parents had gotten divorced and I'd stayed in therapy while that divorce was going on. But once that settled, um, you know, I was still very stressed, but and the anxiety attacks still came every now and again. But the daily anxiety was at bay. And I learned that, you know, it's never going to go away permanently, but I do have the power to keep it at bay. Um, But that doesn't mean that it's not going to get triggered. You know, I I knew that another cycle, you know, of anxiety was going to come around at some point. And I did experience that some more towards the back end of high school. Um, And that was a little stressful, but I had a lot of coping um, mechanisms and tools that I took with me from therapy initially that my, th- my first therapist taught me, um, to kind of, you know, deal with it. And that helped quite a bit for, for a couple of years. Once I got older and more things started happening that were a little more mature, a little more adult, you know, based, um, then I needed to go back to therapy. Um, but overall that was, you know, that was my initial, um, diagnosis and initial round of therapy um so then once I got older um a little bit older got out of therapy initially when I was 13 and I went back in when I was in college Um, my school offered free mental health services and I was able to go into a therapist once a week at school which was awesome and it was a great thing that my school provided it was difficult to get an appointment initially because of the influx of um, patients and the lack of counselors to handle that influx of patients. But, you know, I was able to get in and go weekly. Um, I saw a couple different therapists when I was at school. They gave me a new one each year, which kind of sucked. But um, when I was in college, I had another another one of those rounds of daily anxiety when I was 19 that was triggered by a, a bad relationship that I was in that didn't start off bad, but it ended up taking a bad turn. And the relationship made me very, very anxious. Um, But this time it was different because I had medication. So to backtrack a little bit, one day um, over the summer when I was 18, I was having really bad anxiety for no reason. And I want to explain more about what general anxiety is first because a lot of people experience it differently. In my case, I don't necessarily worry about anything in particular. My body is what gets anxious. So sometimes um, my heart will just start pounding out of absolutely nowhere. I could just be laying in bed and my heart will start start pounding and I'll look at my Fitbit and my heart rate will be, you know, 130 and I'm sitting still. And once my heart rate starts going, my whole, you know, body starts to kind of feel, um, it's kind of, it's, I call it the fear of impending doom. It feels like you're going to die. Um, it feels like someone is coming to, to like kill you or you're running away from something that's chasing you. And there's nothing you can do but kind of drown inside of that, um, you know, those physical symptoms. And then my chest starts to cave in. I start to get very nauseous. Nausea is a big symptom of me for anxiety. And then I start to worry because then I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die. This is never going to go away. Oh my God, this is the worst feeling ever. And it's, it's a cycle. And back then when I was a kid, like I said, I didn't have any medication for this. Um, But I would still have isolated anxiety attacks 
Um, so I was having an isolated one when I was 18. I was driving with my dad and I just started having really bad anxiety to the point where I thought that I was going to pass out. I thought I was having a heart attack and he asked me if we needed to go to the ER and I said yes. So he took me to the ER and long story short, in the ER, they gave me uh, Xanax, a prescription for Xanax, which is a short, um, a short life pill that temporarily relieves anxiety for about two to four hours takes about 10 minutes to kick in there's a variety of doses a lot of the times you'll hear kids talking about bars Um, a bar is a bigger uh, a higher dose of anxiety or what am I saying a higher dose of Xanax Um, so you can get it in like one milligram two milligrams the higher the dose you're going to get a bar if it's a smaller dose you're going to get a small pill Uh, they gave me the smallest dose possible The problem with medication like this, it's in a class of medication called a benzodiazepine. A lot of kids call call them benzos um, or they call Xanaxes, Xannies. That's, you know, sometimes what you'll see on social media. The problem with this class of medication, there are other pills in this class. Um, Xanax is definitely, in my opinion, the most dangerous. They are very addictive because your body becomes physically and chemically dependent on them very, very quickly if you take them often. So it's not a medication you're supposed to take daily it's something you're supposed to take as needed if necessary um a lot of people abuse xanax it is very 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 dangerous and very addictive um that's part of the reason why in the social media era i don't really talk about my anxiety that much because i don't this sounds terrible but i don't want to be grouped into the xanax abuse a lot of kids see it as as fucking candy and let me tell you it's not it's not candy it's not safe Nobody should be taking this pill and it should be off the market. And I want to explain why. Um, Because I am a poster child of why this pill should not be on the market. Um, So I got that prescription for Xanax. This is back to the ER when I was 18. I don't know how much they gave me. My dad, I asked him hey should I take this there they want to give it to me should I take it. He said if it's it's going to help you. So if, if you feel like it's going to help you. And then I would say, take it. Asked my grandmother for her opinion because she has anxiety and she said, it'll help you. So I said, okay. Took it and I was sleeping for two days. I literally slept for 48 hours at my dad's. He had to wake me up to feed me water and to walk me to the bathroom. Um, It knocked me out flat on my feet. So I wasn't anxious, but I also wasn't fucking conscious. And I realized that day just how dangerous this medication can be if abused. I took my bottle. Um, they gave me a full prescription, took the bottle, put it away. And I think in the year span that I had it, I took one. Um, it was a 0.25 milligram, which like I said, is the lowest dose. So it wasn't something I thought about. Now let's forward back to that bad relationship. So the bad relationship, I started feeling anxious about the relationship because I didn't trust my, my boyfriend at the time. Um, I don't really want to get into more details about it because it's a lot to unravel. But if you would like to read more about that in full, I did write a book that's available on Amazon Amazon called Prevail, Finding Normal, and you can read the full story there. But I'm just going to keep it brief here because this is about anxiety. Um, so with that relationship and I was feeling that daily anxiety, it was very similar to how I felt when I was first diagnosed with GAD and PTSD. My flashbacks from 9-11 had subsided. And I wasn't experiencing PTSD at the back end of this relationship, but the lack of trust um, triggered that anxiety daily. And so I took a Xanax the first day. I woke up, I felt like it was unbearable. Took a Xanax and I was like, okay, cool, we're all good. Felt great. And then it didn't come back the rest of the day. But then I woke up the next morning and it came back again. So I was like, okay, this is a little weird. Took another Xanax, fine, no problem. Had a great day, you know, whatever. 
But then the third day, it came back again. And that's when I started to worry a little bit because I didn't want to take the pill. I knew that it was not great for you. I knew that it wasn't something you you are supposed to take every day. But on the bottle, it says take as needed. And I needed it because I was feeling an unbearable, uh, chest-crushing amount of anxiety that was impacting my ability to, to function and do my daily tasks and, you know, breathe normally. So I took it. And fast forward two months, I had been up, I think, you know, triple the dose and I had been taking it every day um, because I was having anxiety every day. And the back end of that is, you know, when you have anxiety every day and you're taking a, a pill to counteract it, your body gets used to having that chemical in your system, whether you want to take the pill or not. In that case, I didn't like how that, you know, the Xanax made me feel. It helped my anxiety temporarily, but as I became more dependent, I needed more of it. So here I was not functioning, taking this, you know, this anti-anxiety medication that was harming me more than it was helping me. And um, I ended up in the hospital and it was, again, I, you know, wrote about this fully in my book, but I ended up in the hospital. I ended up having to detox from the Xanax, which was the, one of the scariest um, experiences of my life. And ever since then, I have not taken Xanax. I will not. I will always discourage the use of Xanax for anxiety and encourage other methods instead. Um, so during this time, the difference between this daily round of anxiety versus being eight years old, there's a 10-year difference. And at 18, 19, I was obviously much more you know, exposed to the world. I, I saw the world very differently than when I was first diagnosed. And, you know, my experiences with, with anxiety have been, um, you know, interesting because they kind of come in rounds. They come in like blasts. I know how to handle the isolated incidents because I've been to therapy in and out for most of my life. But, you know, the daily blasts just fucking suck because, there's really nothing you can do but kind of wait until it fades and you have to repeatedly tell yourself this isn't going to last this isn't going to last so you have to just you have to fight through it because it's not going to last and that's actually been a huge coping mechanism for me is telling myself that repeatedly but um yeah so so now I have a different medication for anxiety that is not daily I'm not on any daily medication um for anxiety or depression but I do take, um, you know, an as-needed. It's a different benzo than Xanax. I have a prescription for a medication called Klonopin, um, which is, it's not a fast-acting, quick-relief anxiety pill like Xanax. This pill is a lot different and a lot less addictive because it takes about an hour to kick in. Um, so Klonopin is more for people who are able to handle the anxiety while the medication kicks in. Like, I'm able to handle it for an hour because I'm used to anxiety and I'm used to feeling it. I know how to at least control it for an hour or so until it kicks in. Um, if you are new to taking medication or you're you're having, you know, very extreme daily anxiety, Klonopin is probably not what a doctor will prescribe. But because I'm someone who, I, I hate saying this, is seasoned with anxiety and coping, it's a good pill for me. Um, I take it maybe... Um, once every like three weeks, maybe if I need it, three to four weeks. Um, and I take half. I don't take full. I take half. So I'll take half. Wait, you know, the hour. If it doesn't start to work, I'll take the other half. But oftentimes I just need to take the half and it just puts my mind at ease a little bit. So that's, you know, 
it's it's so interesting because you know that situation when I was 19 versus my initial diagnosis it was just so different um but both situations helped me kind of see um you know what anxiety is and what control I have and what power I have and exactly how powerful I am because you know I keep bringing up social media but you know the reason why I don't talk about this on social media is just simply because and this is going to sound terrible but I want to explain because I think this is very 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 important a lot of people on social media think that they are doctors a lot of people think on social media that they can diagnose other people and that they can diagnose themselves and that just because they see you know stuff online about anxiety that they are able to do that and that's just not true and that is dangerous and it's why I don't participate in those conversations about mental health because I feel like you know nobody should be diagnosing other people on social media you if you feel like you are struggling I I urge you to to not be afraid to make an appointment with your doctor that is the step that needs to be taken and I feel so firmly and strongly about this because I have been able to put this into practice I've seen other people in my family be able to put this into practice and social media is not um, your tool for diagnosing yourself or other people. It can be a great place for discussion and a great place to raise awareness and to educate people about anxiety and other mental illnesses. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think people abuse um, the, the different social media platforms to act like they know everything about you know, anxiety, depression, other mental health struggles. And I don't really think that that's a healthy thing. I don't think that's healthy for anyone who has anxiety, who is feeling anxious. And I also think that there's a big difference between having clinical diagnosed anxiety and feeling anxious. You know, I see a lot of people saying, oh, I have anxiety, but they're just maybe going through a rough patch in their life and are being told by other people on social media, you have X, Y, and Z illness. That is so unhealthy. And I wish that it was talked about more. I'm sure that many people will probably see my opinion as as wrong, and that's okay. But at the same time, I just I hate on social media that mental illness and the word anxiety and the word depression, they're just thrown around, you know, like like dirt. And I don't think that's fair to anybody who either has anxiety or doesn't, who has depression or doesn't, you know, it's so important to take to a doctor and a medical professional to get diagnosed and to deal with these issues healthily. I think that social media is poison for anxiety and depression. I think that social media is such a negative, negative, negative thing. I don't even know what other word to use, but thing if anyone is struggling with anxiety or any other mental illness. And I get so angry about this because, you know, in all of this, I feel like I have a lot of experience with mental illness just based on my personal experiences and what I've experienced with my family, which is their business. And I won't talk about that here. Um, but I feel like I could offer a lot of valuable feedback and information and experience along with probably a lot of other people who have experienced stuff similar to me. And I feel like I don't want to because I, I feel like it's such a casual thing to throw around on social media nowadays that I don't really want to be a part of that casual conversation. I want to be able to help and advise and to, you know, to, to motivate someone to, you know, pick up their phone and call their, their physician if they need help. I don't want to be part of the conversation that throws around, you know, those, those medical terms so loosely 
without education or without a medical degree or without you know being informed properly and accurately and I hope all of that makes sense because if you are struggling I want more than anything for people to get off social media stop reading what people are telling them and just pick up the phone and call their doctor that is something that I had to work through Um, It took me a lot to call my physician when I was 18 and be like, yo, I, not not saying yo, but like, you know, saying, hey, I really need help. Or, you know, once my dad died, it took me years to go back to therapy and call up somebody and say, I really, really need help. But my goal is to motivate and inspire people to do that. Because yes, it's hard. It is When you're sitting there with your heart rate bursting and you feel like your heart's going to explode and you feel like you're having a heart attack and you feel like someone is about to push you off of the edge of a mountain and you feel like bugs are crawling on your skin and like you're going to jump out of your skin and your fingers start shaking and your stomach is in your throat, God knows it is fucking difficult to ask for help because you're stuck in it. You're stuck in the anxiety and you're stuck in your feeling your feelings of dread and doom. And I wish that I could say that it goes away, but a lot of the times it's more about coping with it and learning to deal with it and how to apply those coping mechanisms to your daily life so you can live a really, really great life. I know that anxiety is going to pop up on me, you know, every, you know, whenever. Sometimes it'll happen every day. Sometimes it'll happen every week. Sometimes I won't feel anxious for a couple months, you know, and then it comes and hits me in the face and is like, hey, fuck you. I'm here to torture you. But the most important thing is to hop off of social media Stop reading what people say. Stop web MDing your symptoms. Stop diagnosing yourself and taking quizzes. You know, what's what mental illness do I have quizzes? And just understand how important it is to be able to ask for help. And like I said, I I'm I know how difficult and and you know it, it actually can be very anxiety inducing just to ask for help. And I know how that feels too. That's that's really uncomfortable and weird. Um, it's a weird position to be in. Um, I'm going through a lot of stuff like I'm on this podcast, like I'm jumping all over the place and I apologize, but I just feel so passionately about, you know, the social media and anxiety thing, which is like I said a couple of times why I don't talk about it in that space, um, but why I wanted to talk about it here because I feel like this is an open forum and a safe space for me to talk about, um, you know, my experiences and delve into that a little bit more. So let me take a drink of my Diet Dr. Pepper. As I anxiously await for them to sponsor me because I give them like all of my money. But um, what inspired me to do this podcast and delve in a little bit more is because I posted a tweet yesterday um, and I'll actually read it to you. It was very dark and I apologize to anybody who read it, but I got a lot of messages um, that were very just kind and helpful and just really, really nice Um I posted, I am having terrible anxiety and I cannot function or get out of bed and I can't stop crying and I feel detached from my body. Please can this nightmare end. And sometimes when I'm feeling this way, when if I'm having a really bad anxiety attack like I was last night, I had an anxiety attack for about seven hours yesterday. I chose to not take medication and just live through it, which I don't do that often, but I've been feeling anxious quite a bit the past week because a lot of things have been happening in my personal life, um, you know, that have triggered some anxiety 
But I feel like this is, you know, that kind of tweet, the reason why I haven't deleted it is because it's a realistic look at what anxiety feels like sometimes. It's very raw and it's upfront and it's painful. And sometimes you just feel like detached from your body. That's how I felt last night. I felt like I was not uh, dissociating, but I felt like I was detached. Like, you know, I was looking at a nightmare from above. And that's what inspired me to do this podcast today and just, you know, sit and talk about it. Um, So... I guess I'll, I guess I'll kind of go into anxiety now as an adult. Um, I've been out of college for four plus years and I've been living in New York for a little over three years now. A lot of people still think I live in New Jersey, which is so weird to me um, because I post about Long Island all the time, but I live on Long Island. I have since March, 2016. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, now as an adult, anxiety and grief because, you know, there was a point in time, for those who don't know, my dad passed away in January 2015 from stage four lung and uh, brain cancer. And, you know, I talked about earlier how I really related to my father because of his struggles with mental illness and anxiety. He took medication and went to therapy and he was an avid um, race runner. He did a lot of 5Ks that helped with his anxiety a lot. And, you know, once I lost my dad, I felt like I lost the only person that understood that, that understood that side of it. My mom was never able to understand because she doesn't have it. So she was never able to put herself in my shoes. Um, You know, my brother also has anxiety and now she's gotten a lot better at trying to see it from his perspective, which I really applaud and commend her for because she's admitted to me, hey, I wasn't able to, to do that for you and I'm sorry, but I'm trying to do it for your brother. And for me, honestly, it hurts, but I more so care about her being there for him than her not being there for, or not being able to be there for me in that sense, if that makes sense, you know? So when my dad died, I felt like, like I said, I lost the only person who got it, who really understood every aspect of me, because if you could understand the anxiety, then I feel like you really can understand, you know, the person as a whole and anxiety is like an extra appendage, you know, to my body. So to have that and then lose that, it was really, like, I, I can't even explain. You know, those who know me personally know exactly what I experienced in grief and continue to experience. But um, at the same time, um, being able to... Uh, I had to live it first before I called a doctor meaning I've been in and out of therapy most of my life but I had to I had to I firmly believe I had to suffer through the anxiety first and allow myself to really feel it before I was able to pick up the phone and say I'm feeling this I need help so that bout of anxiety during my initial um grief when grief really kicked in was very painful and very difficult. I would find myself oftentimes on the floor of my first apartment on Long Island, unable to move or breathe. I couldn't get up off the floor. I would just lay on my living room floor because I was so anxious. I felt like I had, you know, like bricks all over me. I felt like I had chains on my ankles and wrists holding me down to the floor. And, you know, my heart was in like a constant state of tachycardia, which means your heart beats faster than the average rate. Um, I am tachycardic because of anxiety, which is something I'm used to, but at, in, um, during an anxiety attack, obviously it's, it's amplified. 
So I was experiencing a lot of tachycardia, much more heightened than normal. I was nauseous all the time. I couldn't sleep. It reminded me of when I was eight years old. But now I was at that time, 21, you know, laying on my apartment floor alone, unable to call anybody or tell anybody, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm literally dying on my floor. I'm not eating. I need help. I wasn't able to do that for about two years after my dad died. So once I got there, um, it took one day. It took one day. And that day was um, the day of the first Vista show ever. It was September 2016. I don't remember exactly what date it was, but it was at Revolution, which is a venue on Long Island. It was our first show ever. And I woke up dying because I had been experiencing anxiety every day. And I did not have medication because obviously I'd had an issue with Xanax and I had, you know, not been prescribed anything else. So I was just kind of suffering in my in my body. And I felt trapped. And I remember waking up. Our photographer, Holly, was at my apartment staying. And I woke up and she was awake. And I was just like, I'll be back. And I walked out to my apartment, literally dragged myself there. And I sat at the steering wheel shaking. My hands, my legs, you know, everything was shaking. Like almost to the point of convulsing. Because I was so anxious. And I took the initiative to drive myself to an urgent care. And the thing with stuff like that is if you go in and you're like, I'm having anxiety, I need a Xanax or something like that, they will call, you know, the the hospital because it comes across like you are just looking for the medication. So I tried to calm myself best I could before going in there. And I walked up to the desk and I said, I have had anxiety for months straight and I really need to see a doctor, and I really need some help, and they got the doctor in um, as soon as possible. She wasn't there yet, and they got the doctor in, and I remember talking to her, and I was like, my dad died recently, and I have been anxious every day. The grief has kicked in, and I have a history of mental illness in my family, and I am also diagnosed GAD and PTSD, I was having flashbacks of my dad's body, so the PTSD was kind of, you know, that was also trigger, trigger, triggering a lot of anxiety, which is part of the reason why that round of anxiety was so bad, but um, I was having flashbacks of my dad's, I'm sorry if, if this upsets anyone or triggers anybody, but I was, I was having flashbacks of my dad's dead body in the hospital, and, you know, that for me, I wasn't in therapy at the time yet, but this day, I... I should have been excited. I was about to play my first show with my band. Like, it should have been a great day. I should have woken up feeling fucking stoked and ready to go. And like, you know, I'd been waiting for this day. And all I woke up was feeling, I I woke up feeling like I was going to die. Like, I couldn't do it. I knew that if I didn't go get help that morning, that I wasn't going to get on stage that night. So I was shocked because this doctor was one of the kindest doctors I have ever met. She was attentive. She was younger and a female, which I think, you know, she could relate with me and connect with me because she was telling me about her experiences with depression and anxiety. But um, she prescribed me Klonopin. She was the first person to, um, you know, give me a a full prescription for Klonopin. I'd taken it before. um, But she wanted to help me get on stage that night and she wanted to help me get on a path to you know, learning to cope with my grief. Once I took the Klonopin, 
After an hour, I felt relaxed and at ease for the first time in like almost two years. And I was able to get on stage that night and have a great show. And that was, you know, that was the inspiration that I needed to call a therapist and say, hey, my dad died recently and I I really need some help. And I've been in therapy since. Uh, That was three, almost three years ago. I've been in therapy since. I've been to multiple therapists (laughs) since then, trying to find the right fit. And I've been with the same one for two years. His name is John. And he is one of the coolest people I've ever met. Um, Very recently, I switched, he switched me to once a month, which is amazing. Um, That's, you know, that's so great because all he wants is for me to get out of there eventually. Um, Right now, I was there today and I'm going to be back again next week because I'm having a little bit of a, been having a rough time the last week. But, you know, I think living with anxiety is sometimes um it's sometimes detrimental to relationships that i have with people it has impacted my relationship with my boyfriend at times because sometimes my anxiety shuts me down and i've had to learn how to not let that impact my relationship but my boyfriend is absolutely incredible at understanding what anxiety feels like for me even though he doesn't you know he's not in my body he's done an absolutely incredible and attentive job at learning what I need when I'm having anxiety and what he can do to help um and just being understanding of that and that is part of the reason why my relationship is so healthy and stable um but living with anxiety is something that I know I'm, I'm going to have it for the rest of my life. It doesn't just go away. It's in my genetics. You know, my, like I said, all of my dad's side of the family is mentally ill um, and all diagnosed mentally ill, which is sometimes stressful to look at because I see my genes and sometimes I feel like I've been dealt a bad hand. My brother has felt the same way. But what I've learned as an adult is that I have the power. I don't have the power to get rid of it. But much like grief, I have the power to call the doctor. And I have the power to go to my therapy sessions. And I have the power to take control of the situation. And that, to me, is, is, is everything. I have the power to you know, partake in my coping mechanisms. I have the power to find what works for me and what doesn't. I have the power to get off social media and, and you know, write music or or take my vitamins or drink enough water or, or go play soccer or exercise or lift weights or whatever. I have the power to do all of that. And so do you. And, you know, when you're able to realize that, when you realize that you have that power internally, and you apply it and you start applying it and you realize I can I can do this. That's when you realize that like you have anxiety by the balls, <laughs> you know. It's it's sometimes for people it's more complex than that. Sometimes for people it's easier than that. But the general consensus of what I found is you have the power to take control of it. Not get rid of it, but take control of it. When my heart is pounding, 
and I'm laying in bed or I'm with my boyfriend at the movies and I start having anxiety for no fucking reason. I'm holding a bucket of popcorn, which I is my favorite thing in the world is to eat a whole bucket of popcorn at the movie theater and a box of bunch of crunch and I'm sitting with the love of my life and out of nowhere, my body starts feeling like it's going to convulse or I have to jump out of my seat. When stuff like that happens and everything around me is fine, but I feel like I'm falling apart, I remind myself that it's going to pass and that I have the control. And for me, that's been the biggest coping mechanism. And if I can tell other people that and give them the power to try that, you know, then that's the point in talking about it for me. That's the point. Maybe I, you know, maybe I, I haven't wanted to be part of the, the social media conversations because I don't want, you know, the reality of anxiety to get lost in the mix. But I am here and I'm living with it every day. And it's part of me. It's part of who I am. But I don't let it impact who I am, if that makes sense. I don't let it, you know... I try to not let it get in the way. I don't know if you heard me crack my neck just now, sorry. But I try not to let it get in the way of my daily activities. There have been times when I haven't gone to hang out with friends because I'm too anxious. You know, there have been times, we just had a 4th of July party here a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, at the beginning of the party, I was so anxious that I just like hid in my room for 45 minutes because I was like, oh my God, there's going to be so many people here. I feel like I'm going to die. And I just hid in my room my roommate came in and was like are you good and I'm like yes I just you know just feeling anxious just this will pass just gonna let it pass and that's kind of been how I've learned to deal with it how to breathe with it you know I'm not like a deep breathing kind of person but I you know I'm looking for the power within myself and yeah so as an adult now, I do not take daily medication for it. I take my clonopin, half of it as needed, which is about every three weeks at this point. I'm currently going through a very anxious week, but I am coping with it best I can through work and friends and Diet Dr. Pepper, which probably doesn't help. Um, but I hope that listening to this podcast maybe inspired you to pick up the phone or let someone you love know that you you might need some help because that's more than okay and I hope that this gave some insight as to what it's like to live with anxiety living with anxiety is a racing heart living with anxiety is having your chest walls sometimes feel like they're caving in living with anxiety is feeling like you're on the edge of a mountain and someone is ready to push you off but never does it is sometimes getting stuck in your own cyclical thoughts and thinking yourself into a pit sometimes it's isolating yourself from people you love because you feel too keyed up to be social it is nausea it is sometimes hiding and it's okay you know it's part of me and I used to be really ashamed of that I am not ashamed of it now 
sometimes in the heat of it, I do feel ashamed, but it's nothing that I can change, but I can control it. So that's really the gist of my journey. And thank you guys so much for listening. I'm sorry if this triggered anybody or, you know, made anybody feel anxious. That was not my intention. I'm feeling a little anxious myself, to be honest with you. Um, you know, my, my foot is like shaking and my chest kind of hurts, but, um, I think talking about it is, is super important and yeah, I'm just trying to catch my breath. It's funny because sometimes with anxiety, I will feel like my heart is pounding and then I'll check my Fitbit and it's not, it's very strange. Um, but I'm going to end it here. So thank you guys for listening. Give me your feedback if you have any, and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye guys.